Welcome everyone to episode 12 of Popcorn Peeps, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. In this episode, we will be discussing the historical 13th century war film, Braveheart. The film was released in 1995 and stars Mel Gibson as both lead actor and director. The film was adapted from the 15th century poem titled The Acts and Deeds of the Illustrious and Valiant Champion Sir William Wallace, written by a man only known as Blind Harry. However, it is important to note that the poem is not historically accurate, and as such, neither is anything in the film. Despite this, the film was nominated for 10 Academy Awards and won five, including Best Picture, among many others. Today, I am joined by Barbarian Warlord, Christopher McMullen. Arr! Sharpshooter, Sarah Alexander. Hey, Jordan! And Tactical Advisor, Craig Moore. Hey, everybody! This movie has three main sections. The first hour of the film is the prologue, setting up all of the events and the main conflicts towards the middle of the film. But before we get into the whole grandiose picture, I think we should start with the prologue. What did you guys think of the first hour? What do you think it did with its setup? And did you enjoy it? Sucked too long. No. What? (laughs) No. Oh, okay. I'm going to fly in the face of that. So please uh, give me a second before you retort there, Jordan. As a kid, I thought that the first hour of this movie was terrible and long and boring. As an adult, it is actually a rather heart-touching, remarkable love story. I like the first hour. I think it does a lot. I think it inspires you to believe in William Wallace's cause. Without that yes. without that buildup, you don't feel the fire that he feels. And so when he's waging war on the battlefield, you're really rooting for him because you were there throughout his struggles at the beginning. And I think that's important to have. But before we get quite into this, I just want to make one note. Do you guys know about the 1996 film Dragonheart? Yeah. No. I thought I had seen Braveheart, but I was wrong. I saw Dragonheart. So throughout the first <laughs> hour of this film, I waiting for the dragon to come into the movie. <laughs> it just never does. Yo, so like, when's the dragon? And I didn't even realize these were two different movies until about an hour and a half in. I thought when oh. she was strapped in the town center and the guy was about to kill her, the dragon the was going to come over come. the horizon and fucking roast the Englishman. And it just oh, never Jordan. happened. How much better of a movie would this have been if a fucking dragon <laughs> killed Edward Longshanks? <laughs> Much, much better. I liked the prologue. It was the only like emotionally entertaining part of the movie. The rest was all just pretty eh. It does a really good job of setting the tone. Like this movie is damn bloody. It doesn't pull any punches. And I really respect that because a lot of medieval fantasy that I like tends to censor itself or not go quite as far as this film does. But in this film, there's like a visceral level of cruelty. People are getting decapitated. People are being executed. Limbs flying left and right. I was just on board. I love all that kind of stuff. I didn't buy the relationship. You didn't buy it? Oh, look, a thistle, the symbol of Scotland. You gave it to him. Now it's 17 years later. But 40 for him. No, 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 no. The thistle is what Marin gave him when his father died at the funeral, and he kept it throughout his entire childhood. I know. And gave it back to her. Yeah, ugh. As a gesture of how much he cares about her. It's so romantic, man. He held on to this little trinket from her. It was super romantic. It's so it was romantic. Li- he kept a flower with him. He had two-second interaction with her at the funeral, and then Uncle Whatever takes him away where he learns all these different languages and stuff, and that somehow is a basis for love. And he comes back to his homeland, the only place he said that he belongs, and he belongs with her. Valentine's Day at your place, Chris, must not be a good time. <laughs> Where's the romance? He's lucky she wasn't married. (laughs) Ah, I stopped buying it. I thought the secret wedding was cool. I liked that he just came back and he had his eyes set on her and he did all the cute little trope things that happened. Like he was throwing rocks at her window, which is something you see in like 
like a rom-com. My favorite part of that is that he hit her with a rock. That's mean. You don't even feel bad for him at all. Bad for him what? You don't feel bad for my boy, William Wallace, after he has his brand new bride stolen from him, like nights after. He had his young man adventures. He went around and all he wanted to do was go back to his home where he belonged and raise his farm and raise his family and live happily ever after in peace. And he had that stolen away from him. I liked it. And marry the 11-year-old girl that he met for five minutes. You don't know that. You don't know what their childhood was like. How how did he age 40 years? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. When I originally saw this, I don't remember him looking so old. Puberty's a wild ride. And then I watched this and I was like, is he a pedophile? He's like has 60 years <laughs> no, on No, she doesn't even look young. Yeah. She looks old enough and he doesn't look like a grandpa. It's fine. If you take the movie on face value, they had one interaction. If they could have had a couple more, like, like he's in the village all the time. A couple little stolen glances to her. Look, if they had done that, we would be complaining about them spending too much time in his childhood. Yeah, you'd be pushing this over three hours. You already think it's too long. <laughs> You don't think like the whole concept of the English rulers instilling prima nocta on this poor little Scottish village isn't like... Yeah, but it's not real. Of course it's not real. Dude, we're watching Hollywood cinema, not the National Geographic Nature Channel. This is entertainment. You can't treat this as historical. Like it's based on history, but it's an alternate retelling loosely based on historical events. No one ever said this was real. They're coming across as a historical movie about actual people and actual events and the driving force of the movie is a made-up thing it's not a made-up thing it just wasn't practiced in the united kingdom but i think that's the line between if you are doing a historical movie do you have a responsibility for accuracy or is it entertainment you can make whatever you want to make you don't have to make something truthful if you want to take a historical base and make something fun out of it you're more than welcome to that's why we have assassin's creed that's why we have like red dead redemption and all this other crap right and i did do a little bit of reading into prima nocta and I didn't see any instance of it actually existing. There's a handful of medieval sources that mention it, but they're all literary. They're not historical. And I read part of this book called The Lord's First Night, The Myth of Droit de Coussillage by Alan Bordeaux. And it talks about how French politicians intended to paint this era of history in a dark light. And so they made up a lot of the lies about Prima Nocta and it kind of just flourished from there. So there's no real instance of it being true in medieval Europe. And that's, that's where I had like this made up thing Makes a good story. I thought it was a great plot device. I would agree. I don't think that the uh, the Emperor actually instituted Order 66 in a galaxy far away a long time ago, but I was still pissed <laughs> off that he killed all the Jedi. I'm with you. It's just, I think it was lazy when you're presenting something. Like, people are going to take this away. And also, people thought that the Martian was real, so we got to take that with a grain of salt. But people are going to take this away as real. If Hollywood is directing a movie, I'm not going to assume it's real. They're here to make money off of it. They're here to make it entertaining. This, As Craig already said, it wasn't on National Geographic. It has Mel Gibson. Yeah, but we didn't know he was insane back then. And not David Attenborough. It's not, it's not narrated <laughs> yeah. by David Attenborough. You know, we right. see the Scotsman <laughs> marrying in secret. Because <laughs> the Scottish wander across the countryside in search of vengeance. Oh, what do we have here? An English countryman who has piqued the attention of the Scots. <laughs> this is not going to end well. <laughs> if there's no magic and I have to watch something in the Middle Ages, I want it to be fucking accurate. 
You're in for a bad time. Well, I think you're just Yeah, greedy. right? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Let's get back on track. This introductory sequence sought to do a couple things. It sought to build up the rage within William Wallace, and I thought it did a great job. It touched on something that is so important to a lot of couples and the harmony of a community, right? It's love, it's marriage, and the sanctity of that marriage. And the King of England is just this diabolical supervillain and goes, if we can't kick them out, we're just going to breathe them out, and we're going to send in our lords, and we're going to fuck them their wives. He's literally a supervillain and I think that does a tremendous job instilling the rage that you want to carry and cheer for yes. William Wallace throughout the rest of the film. What else are you going to do to set up this grandiose quest? I feel like that's so perfect. I mean, they could have just been historically accurate, but I feel like that would have taken a lot more time than to have this convenient plot device and go through the whole history of Scottish-English relations. Do you know what though? I would have been okay if it was just avenging his brother and his father. Like that was an, that would have been enough for me. I just didn't buy the relationship. I'm sorry. Have you seen The Patriot? It's the same movie, basically. Yeah. So oh, the guy, it? the guy, you know, he loses something, and all he wants is peace. He's accepted his role in life is going to be different than the people that came before him. He just wants to be a farmer and go about his business. But someone couldn't just let him have it, and just when he thought he was out, they pull him. Back in. <laughs> Before we move on, I do think the introduction did one other important thing. It acted as a turning point for William Wallace's character. Prior to his wife being killed, he was very content to live under tyranny, and he was naive enough to think that such a lifestyle was possible, and this is the switch, and once it's flicked, he, he realizes that, oh, of course I can't do that. Why did I ever think that? You can tell he's beating himself up about it, like, if I had acted, if I had joined that military troop earlier, or joined into the secret meetings, and I was more careful about protecting her, and I realized the threat, I could have prevented this. I think the prologue's important for setting up the audience engagement for the rest of the movie. Yeah, they could have easily told the story by saying the Scottish nobles came by and told everyone that they had to go to war and then everyone would have went to war and we would have been like okay I guess they're going to war we wouldn't gave a shit I agree this humanizes the characters they're not just good side bad side and you can now focus on individual people and their storyline and it gives the battles weight I guess no absolutely nobody in this movie I connected with except for Stephen because he's amazing I love Stephen yeah. <laughs> who's Stephen that insane Irish guy. <laughs> My boy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He actually has one of the best lines in the whole film. He says, how does an Irishman talk to his equal? Oh, he talks with God. Yeah. That's like the old, uh, are you talking to yourself? Yeah, I needed some expert advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going three out of four. Intro was good versus intro was bad. Yeah. All right. Well, let's cap it there. Let's move on to the middle section of the film. So this is raiding York. This is all the big grandiose battles right up until William Wallace is captured. What do you guys think of this whole section? I liked all the battle scenes. I thought they were cool. I was entertained by them. Eh. There were so many extras and so much going on. It was such a fun ride. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the watching the kind of hit and run tactics that they were doing <laughs> where they were lure, luring the, the Englishmen out in the open and stuff like that. But you know what? After a certain amount of them, I was just kind of like, eh. Well, see, I was feeling that too. But when they do the battle of, uh, is it York? Right at the end where they have the battering ram, they cut it relatively early. And I think that's sort of where my attention was starting to wane. But yeah. that at that point, you switch away from the battles. You get into more political intrigue and it switches pace and I think that is really good for keeping the audience engaged. Yeah, they did a good saving maneuver there. I did want to just do a quick shout out to my boys over at Crusader Kings 3 for teaching me what the old Irish flag looked like <laughs> so that when it was raised in battle, I went, that's Ireland. That's Ireland's flag. They're sending in the Ireland Irish now. 
Mom told me video games weren't educational. You mean the Guinness harp? That's right. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know. The first time I ever saw it, it was in Crusader Kings 2, actually, and, and most recently in Crusader Kings 3. So when they raised it on the battlefield, I was like, I know what that is. I love the battles. I thought they were super cool to watch. And fun fact, most of the major battle scenes were shot in Ireland using members of the Irish Army Reserves as extras. And to lower cost, Gibson had the same extras, up to 1,600 in some instances, play both both battling armies. And so it wasn't even two separate groups of people. It was the same group of army reserves fighting each other. Costume change. All right, freeze, change costume. Okay, pan the camera. And that's great filmmaking because I would have no idea about any of that if I didn't look into it, but he probably saved himself tens of thousands of dollars doing that. My only criticisms of the battles is that some of the cuts are a little bit too frequent. And I think during a couple of the segments, I was getting a little bit motion sick. I do understand why you have to do that just because there's so much going on and I keep it looking authentic and keep everything in frame. You're going to have to make rapid cuts when you have all of those mm. people working together. So I get it, but it did feel a little bit jarring. What did you think of his hype up speech at the Battle of Stir? Bridge. I liked it. I was moved. I felt the same thing I felt during the rocky buildup, right? I'm like, this is the moment. We're teetering yeah. on the edge. Let's go. <laughs> no compromise. Although I did think that pulling down their pants to moon the English was really weird. And I don't know if you thought it was historically accurate up until this point. I hope <laughs> that was where you realized it wasn't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting battle tactic to turn your back on the enemy while they're knocking arrows and show, show them your butt. <laughs> and only one guy got shot in the butt. Yeah. I saw him get shot in the ass. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> well, that's what I was looking at. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens when you turn your back on a guy with a bow. You're giving us a target. <laughs> Thank you for sacrificing your humble ass for the cause. <laughs> like, yeah, hit me right here. And the Englishman's like, I Okay. <laughs> this is also the section of the film where we're introduced to the French princess, Isabella, acting as a compassionate double agent behind the king's back rallying intel to the Scots and I really enjoyed her character and I liked that she had a tad of innocence and she was searching for what love could be after hearing this mythic tale of Wallace and being subjected to that awful awful human being that was her husband. I enjoyed her interactions although I did think she was a bit eager to ooh, ooh, get in the sack. Wait a second the awful person that was her husband? Yeah her husband was just a punk yeah. ass bitch. He wasn't an awful person. He was just person. a little he bitch. Just, he just sucked. He was just a weak willed little. He was gay and he was forced into a marriage by his father. I I just thought it was his broski. It's not his broski. <laughs> oh, so that was his. <laughs> Holy shit. Is that the guy who got We're thrown out the window? <laughs> That's why he was going to kill his. Oh my. What? I do think he was a weak person, though. I, I think he had yeah. no will, no self-confidence. And uh, let's be fair. If you have a father like Edward Longshanks, you probably don't have very much self-confidence. Can't imagine being raised by him and being belittled at every turn to grow up and have confidence. Like, I don't see yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. I, the thing that really kind of irritated me about that whole thing is make him gay so he doesn't reproduce or make him foppish. It was gross that at least I got an implication that it was because he was gay he couldn't be a good king. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did not like that. But now that we know it's Mel Gibson, I think, and we know what Mel Gibson's beliefs are now, it kind of comes full circle. Yes. Yeah, Mel Gibson is a scumbag. I understand why uh, it was done that way. I disagree with the director's choice on the character. I agree with you, Chris. It would have been better just to, you know, if you want to have a shitty, weak-ass prince who's a, who's a punk-ass bitch, 
There's other ways There's to do it. There's better ways to do this. Yeah. That pissed me off. That's fair. Did you guys like Isabella, though, as a character on her own? Yeah, I liked her. And I liked her little maid. <laughs> yeah, she was good. Oh, I loved Isabella. She was probably my favorite character in the whole movie. I thought that she used what little power she had to the best effect that she possibly could. Yeah. Well said, yeah. Definitely got a head on her shoulders. And I loved the scene in particular where she goes to negotiate with Wallace. And when she comes back, uh, she goes, oh, no, we couldn't reach a truce. And he lays out his plan okay this is what we'll do and she goes that'll take weeks to set up and he goes no I started setting it up weeks ago yeah. you were just a pawn and that's when she really realizes that oh fuck I am on the wrong side of history and her speech at the end to the king we're getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves but that scene was awesome and to see him unable to speak just so distressed and shaking about was awesome I think she should have dropped the bomb on who was the father of the baby she just said it's like it's not your son but I feel like it would have been an extra knife in the heart to hear he knows I think he figured it out because she's coming to him asking to spare Wallace's life. True. I mean, at that point, like, who else is it going to be? Put two and two together, I guess. And we were also introduced to the scumfuck bastard that is Robert the Bruce. This little flip-flopping motherfucker. What would you guys think of that guy? Robert the Bruce was in a tough situation. Loyalty to family, loyalty to country. You flip-flopped and you killed Wallace. And then you fucking lead his army as if you have done no wrong. Bad boy. I think this movie really did him dirty. Though I didn't like how they made him like this black knight jousting character just for kicks in the middle of a battle. Yeah. Why did he ride in with Longshanks? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe as like a symbol of his allegiance. Yeah, but like why a joust? Like, Is that going to be practical when everyone else doesn't have a horse on the other side? Sarah, have you been to medieval times? Nope. Well, you should go because there's a lot of jousting and it's a good time. But aren't you jousting against somebody else on a horse? You're not jousting down. Yeah, I don't think they typically have like 6,000 versus 6,000 jousting. Just <laughs> in case there's a need for some jousting, bring on a guy with a lance. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a good time. We'll get a show if someone else shows up with a lance. I actually thought the character was well portrayed. Yes. I, I really bought into the character's internal strife between what his father wanted from him versus what he wanted to do because he wanted to join with Wallace and try to free Scotland. And he wanted to rule. He wanted to be the king of Scotland, but he wanted to be the king of a free Scotland. Mm -hmm. And his father managed to convince him that being the ruler of a subjugated Scotland is all you're going to be able to get. Yeah, and plus we can maximize our land. His father was all about incremental growth. It's not about accomplishing much. It's about accomplishing a little bit and then passing that along to the next generation to expand the reaches of our family. It's not about you. It's about the next generation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought the actor did a really good job. I felt like it was easy to understand the turmoil going on inside of him. He didn't feel flat. He, you're right. He was three-dimensional for sure. Yes. Skipping to the end, I did buy his reaction that he had no idea that he was betraying Wallace. Like I generally believed he wanted to get in on it then when his sidekick or whoever it was turned him in the last time yeah not the first time he betrayed him the other time yeah yeah when he was calling wallace for the truce or whatever just as an aside they released a sequel to this film in 2019 called robert the bruce starring this fellow and it's the same actor reprising his role so if you did enjoy that character and his betrayal that might be something worth checking out there's also a netflix one with chris pine playing robert the bruce called outlaw king Ooh, interesting. So what did you guys think of the end? Our boy Wallace walks into a trap he knew had been set for him. I don't know if he thought he could just overcome it, but that didn't happen. He ends up in chains and decapitated. 
It's one of the most iconic moments in cinema. It's incredible. He withstands all that torture and then screams out for freedom before being murdered. It's it's excellent. I remember it being more graphic. Would you guys have confessed your sins to get a quicker death or would you let yourselves be stretched out by a horse? I would have immediately begged for mercy. Yes, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be a dumbass and go into my enemy's stronghold. <laughs> I would have taken all the painkillers that the princess was willing yes. to give me. <laughs> I would have begged the king to, dude, it's fine. Just keep me as a prisoner forever. It's, it's, Put it'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and if they said, if they pulled me out and they were still intent on executing me, but they wanted to torture me first, I'd be like, I'll pray whatever God you wish. I don't give a <laughs> shit. Just cut my head off. <laughs> I don't know what I would do, to, honestly. I like stub my toe and I'm like, ah! <laughs> To be honest, I'm not sure if I liked or didn't like the film's ending. I kind of feel like the film and I were doing some foreplay for about two and a half hours and the ending just left me kind of blue balled. I was ready for this big revolution against the king and it all gets swept out from under the rug and all that Wallace has fought for. Well, it's not lost. His quest ends there. He doesn't get to see the fruits of his labor and I did feel bad for him. At least that part was accurate. Mm hmm. You just accurately described about a thousand years of the British Empire. Everyone thought they were going to be able to overthrow England, <laughs> and then everything got swept out under the rug, and then fuck me, I guess I'm a British colony for the next 200 years. And then he got <laughs> hanged, drawn, and quartered. <laughs> Maybe I'm in a mood today, but when I watched this, I was like, everything he's doing is so pointless. As Craig said in the last episode, flame him in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Who, me? Yes, you. They won their freedom at the end, so was it for naught? Here's my stick is we get taken on this super long journey and the freedom element where Robert the Bruce leads into battle, wins and gets Scotland's independence is summed up in a 12 second clip with narration. That would have been an awesome way to end the film on that note, perhaps cut a little bit in the middle and then extend that outwards. That'd be nice. I disagree. I just think there was a better way to do it. If you've seen 300, 300 did it in an excellent way where they showed the events of the Battle of Thermopylae and Leonidas dying. And then they did a really good narration of getting you pumped up about the fact that the Greeks resurged and then pushed back Xerxes and Persia and kept Greece free. Unfortunately, in Braveheart, it was like, and then William Wallace died. And then, I don't know, like Scotland freed itself or something. The end. No, they didn't. <laughs> they got their together they're ruled by the english now that came a couple hundred years later yeah <laughs> that's not important yet we'll get there for me the freedom thing was simply freedom to be ruled by nobles that were born in the same country as yeah. you yeah yes it's not freedom it's a different master that's what i'm talking about you're basically like oh i don't want to be uh ruled by foreigners like the english so let's give up our lives so that we can be free and give our tithings to this bruce dude but i think there's an intrinsic respect that your own people would have for the lives of the commoners and so while they may just be other Come lords on, that man. is bullshit are you kidding me we live in a classist system now and the nobles don't give a shit about us roast them in the comments you know what? I take back everything I said, Chris. I agree with you. There you go. No noble has ever cared about a serf. Uh, during the American Revolution, they had a, a saying, something along the lines of, why would I trade a tyrant across the ocean for 30 tyrants two states away? Oh, see, like look at me. I'm on, like on the side of history there. <laughs> well, it was an argument against the revolution. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
have one thing to say about the film's pacing. I had mentioned earlier that I thought it was a little bit too long in the middle and would have liked to seen some of that extra runtime used at the end to extend the battle featuring Robert the Bruce. Apparently Gibson and his editor, Stephen Rosenblum, initially had a cut that was four hours long. Paramount was not having it. And so somewhere there exists a four hour version of this movie. And I bet that's where oh all the extra God. runtime went. <laughs> And so now I want to see that version to expand the end of this film. Imagine it's all at the beginning. Oh, I'm so mad. (laughs) Like, oh, I get this relationship. Give Chris what he wanted. (laughs) The only way for them to get me to enjoy the epilogue is for them to find a way in this story to not make me hate Robert the Bruce. Because frankly, I don't give a shit if he frees Scotland because I don't like the guy. He betrayed our boy and he's just going to be the next, like Chris said, he's going to be a Scottish tyrant instead of an English tyrant. So why do I give a shit about whether or not they're quote unquote free? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also, to your comment, I think there are some good arguments for not having an American Revolution. This is not the place for that. <laughs> not that podcast. <laughs> is, Patriot on this, uh, is Patriot on this list? I don't Probably know. Not. No, it is not. <laughs> we haven't talked about this yet, but it's something we should definitely bring up. Did you guys like Wallace as a lead? And do you think Mel Gibson did a good job portraying Wallace? Yes, I thought he did a good job. He was too old, but I thought he was great. Didn't care for him at all. What didn't you like about him, Chris? Didn't like the cut of his jib. Did you feel like he was too flat because the intro didn't hook you? Is that the issue? He had this cold rage that was kind of cool, but I just like, I'm just not buying the lead a whole country to war to avenge the woman you loved. It's not to avenge the woman you love. That was just his impetus for joining what was already going on. Also, uh, I'm getting a phone call. It's Helen of Troy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she was real either, was she? Good one, Craig. (laughs) I think Mel Gibson did a good job. I think he was a little bit too egotistic in the directing chair. There were a lot of panoramic shots of him climbing the mountains. Oh, and then when it zooms in on his face... Hair flowing, <laughs> muscles rippling. Yeah, then give me a get a close up of me here. <laughs> and so I could have done with a little bit less of that, but I do think he did a great job, and I felt for him. Sir, we hired eleven hundred extras for this shot. Yeah, but get a close up of me. My face paint looks. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still kind of lukewarm on the ending. I thought it was good from a story perspective, but as someone who had been on this journey for so long, I was a little bit sad to see it end that way. But I, I guess that is also a testament to good filmmaking considering how attached I was to the journey. So you know what? Maybe kudos, uh, Mel Gibson. Nice storytelling. Could have been anybody else. <laughs> Did he even have an accent? Yep. Chris. You know, like like Chris, <laughs> though, I think... I think I agree that he martyred himself for a cause that was it was needless. He didn't need to martyr himself yeah. for that cause. Yeah, it's a cool shot. The guy getting tortured and then being like, freedom and then dying. But like, how did we get here? In real life, he was turned in by a lord. 16 Guinness pints deep. Oh, bloody hell, I'll fucking walk in there. I'll fuck him up, mate. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm in the fucking ropes now. But how did this even happen? <laughs> Oh, you're a lunatic. (laughs) Is that that the section we missed that was in the four-hour cut? Oh, that would be good. That was the best accent I've ever heard. We found Steven for the remake. Yeah, what was that? It was like, it was kind of Scottish. It was like kind of East Coast Canadian, but also kind of Irish, which I guess is kind of East Coast Canadian. But then also Australian with the mate. I just base it on the Newfoundlander and go from there, add a little twang where I see fit. 
So let's move on. Let's talk about some stuff that we really liked or didn't like in the film. And Chris, I want to go to you. Is there anything in this damn movie that you liked? Steven was amazing. So there is a bit. This film will place higher than Deer Hunter. Oh yeah, it will. Don't worry. <laughs> That's the confirmation I needed. <laughs> I'll talk about some of my favorite bits. I loved a lot of the one-liners. They were subtle and they were just thrown in there. A little bit here, a little bit there. Not too much to make it overbearing. But like when young Wallace tells his uncle he doesn't want to leave and his uncle just tells him, well, you didn't want your dad to die either, did you? And like, <laughs> like, well, fair point, man. I guess we're going with you. As my grandpa used to say, want in one hand and shit in the other. <laughs> which one fills up faster. Another one is from an English noble. And he just says, that trouble with Scotland is it's full of Scots. So I just burst out laughing. <laughs> like, well played. Uh, one of the things I really loved about this movie, actually, I thought the soundtrack was really good. The music was really well set, set the tone for a lot of the fights, set the mood when it wanted you to start feeling anxious. The music did a good job of, you know, pumping up the anxiety a bit. It was, it was good. You didn't think it was a little too heavy handed? This whole movie was heavy handed. I'm going to throw out a hot take here. Playing bagpipes should be a war crime. Oh, I love bagpipes. Yeah, I like bagpipes too. <laughs> Fucking bagpipes are awful. Oh, it gets me emotional. I love bagpipes. We could talk about the music a little bit. The film's score was composed by James Horner and it was played and recorded by the London Symphony Orchestra. I thought it was good. I'm not a big bagpipe enthusiast, but I do think it did hit the highs when it needed to hit the highs, particularly songs like Battle of Sterling. It does this cool thing where it mixes stringed instruments clashing and they flourish with the bagpipes in the background and I think the mix between like very different styles of music is cool and interesting and does a really good job of accenting what's happening on screen. Also Felkirk was really good. It's just epic. It's fun to listen to. The drums get going and it really makes you feel like you're there at the battle. I also thought the costumes were really well done. Yeah, they were cool. I was trying to see if the pleat was at the front or not on the kilts. I liked the princess's dresses and her head stylings. I feel like that'd be so uncomfortable to wear, though. You have, like, a chin strap on every single one of your outfits. And then, like, the big Princess Leia things. <laughs> yeah. Just to note, throughout history, no one has ever given a shit whether or not women are comfortable in what they're wearing. This is true. That's why the stiletto was made by a man. That's why Lululemon is so popular. It's the first time someone was like, all right, we're going to make fashion statement and it's going to be super comfy. <laughs> um, one thing I liked about the movie is I actually liked all of the characters and how they were cast. Everyone I was supposed to hate I thought did an excellent job and I did hate them and I loved all of Mel Gibson's little Scottish sidekicks and friends. It was cast really well and I liked all of that. I agree. I even liked the little relationship between him and his buddy where they had the rock throwing contest at the beginning. Yeah. Hamish? The way they kind of bounced off of each other was uh, it was good. Again, it personalized the Scots, so I like that. It was a good way to do a callback and let us know that, hey, this was his friend from when he was a kid without him just walking up and saying like, hey, Hamish, I haven't seen you since <laughs> I was <Yes>. seven. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Hamish, I haven't thrown a rock at your head in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's rank this film. If you're following along and you're watching the YouTube video, there is a link at the top of the description showcasing all of our lists so far, ranking the films. Sarah, where are you going to place Braveheart? This one's hard because the things that I did enjoy about it, like how it was acted, the battles, I really liked. I had a really hard time getting past the historical inaccuracies and what it was making itself out to be. Right on, sir. But after this discussion, we're taking this as a movie of entertainment. It is not a history lesson. So with that in mind, I'm going to move it to 
to five between Bonnie and Clyde and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So better than Close Encounters? I hated Close Encounters. (laughs) I enjoyed this. This hyped me up more. I have decided that based on the things that I enjoyed and didn't enjoy about this movie, really the only thing I didn't enjoy was the length of the battle scenes. After a while, I was like, eh, you know, wrap it up, boys. I'm placing this sucker in fifth place. Wait, what did I put last last week? <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, you flip-flopped between Memento. This is either fifth or sixth place. I'm not sure how to count it. No, you put Memento at one. It, it's, it's irrelevant because it was either <laughs> Memento was going one or two, right? <laughs> I'm going to place Braveheart between Dr. Zhivago and Rocky. So for me, that's going to be, I believe, fifth place. Very cool. And how about you, Chris? Where are you going to place this bad boy? Well, it was like, what is it better than? And apparently only three things. So I'm putting it at number nine. That'll put it between (laughs) Airplane and Up. I think you would like this movie if you had a better understanding of what it was trying to do beforehand. If you didn't go into this film thinking it was going to be remotely accurate, do you think you would have enjoyed it more? No, I've seen it before. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mick Mullen. Do you even know anything about Scotland? Me? I do know that apparently everyone in Scotland either looks like me or my dad. I believe that. My son was there and the bus driver, he kept doing double takes because they look like me. (laughs) Interesting. So here is my dilemma. I like this film basically as much as I liked Rocky, but for very different reasons. I like that Rocky is shorter. It's more digestible. Where I did like the epic tone of Braveheart. And so I, do I want to place it under Rocky at four or above Rocky at three? I think I'm going to place it in spot number four, below Rocky and above Bonnie and Clyde. I thought it was fun. I had a good time. I'm a big fan of the setting. I love the medieval aesthetic. I love the sword fights. Highly recommended. Uh, Medium (laughs) recommended. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, you should probably get around to seeing it. But like, you know, there's no rush. Oh, well, can't please them all. What are we watching in episode 13, Chris? We're going to watch Slumdog Millionaire. And you can watch that on Crave Plus or Crave Star. Or you can rent it on Apple, Google, Cineplex, Microsoft, or YouTube. Cool. Thank you very much. Right on. I would like to extend a special thank you to those who support the show on Patreon.com. If you would like to support the show, there's a link at the top of the description of the YouTube video. But without further ado, thank you so much to Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Frank Costa, and Ryan Saarinen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Uh, I think I hate this genre.